We've been talking together about living a life that outlives me. How can I live a life that has such an impact on the world around me, that, that affects the lives of others to the degree that that impact can continue, that ministry, if you will, can continue even after my physical life is over. How can we live a life that outlives us? And to help us with it, we've been walking through the book of Acts because those folks in the book of Acts did that very thing. They were able to live lives that outlived them. And how do we know that? We know that because we're here this morning. We, we know that their influence impact the world to the degree that you got to hear about Jesus. Jesus who walked the earth in a different, uh, different part of the world in a completely different time, a completely different culture, and yet you have gotten to meet him. How did that happen? Because 120 people lived a life that outlived them, and their message continued around the world. And so we want to live that kind of life, a life that outlives us. I want us to begin in Acts chapter 5 as we learn from them the importance of living with busy hands and quiet lips. Those two things go together, busy hands doing and quiet lips not talking about it. Let's look at it, chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. A man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Now, so far, so good, right? Andy and Sally do fine. They, you know, Uncle Frank left them a piece of property out, out close to the highway, and they, they decided they didn't need it, and so they, they sold a piece of property. So far, so good. Verse 2, with his wife's knowledge. Now, notice, now remember that because that becomes important later in the story. In other words, I think they sat down at the kitchen table and they had a conversation. We sold that property and we got more money than we thought we would. We were able to get $35,000 for that piece of property. That was a lot better deal than we thought we'd make. They had a conversation. It says that with his wife's knowledge, Ananias took this action. So they had a conversation ahead of time. We, you know, we, we made more than we thought. We promised the church that we would give them the money that we made off this property. But we made more than we thought we would. So the church would never expect that much. We made 30, what I say, 35? Is that what I said? 35. We got 35 for that property. We could just tell the church we only got 30. Church would never know. We could keep the extra five. We give the church the 30. The church thinks we're awesome and wonderful and we get all the praise. They might even throw a banquet in our honor. They would at least put a stained glass window in it with our name at the bottom. 
a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and his, with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Peter calls Ananias in. I don't know. When you get an, an invitation from an apostle to have a meeting, what do you think? How do you feel? What happens? Is there some little fear? The apostle wants to talk to me? Or could there perhaps be more like anticipation? Oh, he wants to talk to me. I bet he wants to name a whole wing of the next church in my honor. He wants to talk to me. He's going to give me a pat on the back because I gave the church $30,000. I can't wait to get to this meeting. I wonder which one of those Ananias was feeling. Whatever it was, Peter did not welcome him and give him a Dr. Pepper and an Oreo and have a conversation. Ananias walks in the room and Peter asks four questions and that conversation's done. His first question, verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now you say he didn't lie to the Holy Spirit, he lied to the church. He said he was going to give them everything he got from that property, but he only gave him part of what he got for the property. That's not lying to the Holy Spirit, that's lying to the church. Well, when it says that he brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet, in that day, at very, very early in the church, that's how people gave to the church. In other words... That was his act of worship. That was when he put his money in the plate. He is claiming before God, I'm giving all. But God knew, didn't he, that there was still that 5,000 in his pocket. The people didn't know. The Holy Spirit knew. And because the Holy Spirit knew, Peter knew. And Peter says, dude, I know you're lying. And you're not just lying to your friends. You're lying to God because you're pretending to offer him something in worship while holding some of it back. He asks three more questions. He says, uh, let's begin in three again just so I don't get lost. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Andy, nobody told you to sell that property. You could have just held on to it. You didn't owe it to the church. You didn't owe it to anybody. It was yours and everybody was happy and fine. We could have gone on and had our fellowship. No problem. 
but you're the one who started this. Verse, or the next question. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Even after you sold it and got 35000 much more than you expected, even after you sold it, that was still your thirty-five. You didn't have to give it to the church. There was no requirement that you give away everything you have. The problem is, is that you stood before the church and said, I'll give everything we get for it. Why is it, last question, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Great fear came upon all who heard of it. Well, I reckon so. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Sapphira didn't know that her husband had already died and had already been buried. She just thought he was up here hanging out with Peter. So she shows up not knowing any of this, so she doesn't know to continue, or she doesn't know to, uh, to confess the lie. She thinks that she can continue the lie. Verse 8, Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Did you sell the land for the 30000 that you gave the church? Is that the price that you got for the land. Now, remember in verse 1 when it said that she was fully aware of what was happening? That's why I pointed it out. Because now Peter speaks to her and says, Is 30 the price that you got for that land? She knew better. The end of verse 8, and she said, Yes, for so much. Yes, 30's the number. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together? To test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. God is beginning something new and it is important that he begin it new in the right way. And so he is saying if you come in here and lie to God, we've got to cleanse this place because this new church needs the best start possible. It is that important. And so Andy and Sally tried to lie to the Holy Spirit, but the Bible says God will not be mocked. And so he takes them out, and everybody around there hears about it, and they say, okay, this church thing is the real deal. We better be honest with each other and honest with God. 
And that takes us to the first thing that we can learn from Ananias and Sapphira and from this early church. It's exactly what Wendy just taught us as well. Do good for the right reasons. It's one thing to do good. It's something completely other to do good for the right reasons. You know, if you do good for the wrong reasons, it's actually not doing good. It just feels like it was good to you. You do good and you say, hey, everybody, did you see me? Did you notice what I did? Did you, did you get a picture of me doing that? I want to make sure I get on Facebook because I, I did something nice. You do good for the right reasons if you want to outlive your life. You do good, like we talked about last week. We talked about that we live with open eyes and open hands. We see the needs and then we reach out to help. We do good because there is a need. But those who do good to make sure people see them doing good are what the Bible would call hypocrites. That word hypocrite, the word hypocrisy really, is a, is a fun Greek word, and it, it was the word they would use for an actor. Literally, it means to wear a mask. Back then, they, the actors, uh, they had very few actors who would, who would act out each play, and so they would change masks as they changed characters. And so every actor always had a mask on. You could tell who that character was playing by the mask. So an actor was one who wore a mask. Jesus shows up and he says to a lot of the religious leaders of his day, you guys like being on the stage. You like wearing masks. You're just hypocrites. It's real easy for us to put on the mask. We've defined, as a culture, as a church, we've defined what a good person looks like. So it's real easy to put on that mask and say, hey, everybody, see me? I'm doing good. When all the while we're doing it just to get the attention or just to, just to, to increase our popularity. We love being on the stage. Ananias and Sapphira said to the church, hey, everybody, we're going to give it all to you. Give us some credit. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13 speaks of that kind of hypocrisy in which God says that this people draw near with their mouth, honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. You can do good. For the wrong reasons. Yeah, they showed up for church. They draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. They sing the right songs. They use the right language at church. But their hearts are far from me. Because it's just a mask. You remember when you'd take the kids to the swimming pool or the playground. They'd figure out some new trick. And just every few minutes, watch me, watch me. Look at me, look at me, watch me. That is awesome at a swimming pool and a playground, but it has no place in the kingdom of God. Watch me serve. Look at me. Aren't I wonderful? 
I think perhaps that's how the modern proverb developed. It says, when helping the poor, leave the camera at home. You can outlive your life when you do good for the right rewards. You do good for the right reasons, and you do good for the right rewards. What is your goal in doing good? What do you hope to get out of it? So often I hear people say, um, you know, you ought, to, you ought to do good because you wind up getting more out of it than the other person. You wind up with such a blessing. It's such a great feeling to do good. Folks, that's awesome. But that is so shallow. Would you do good for somebody else if it didn't make you feel good as well? Would you do good for someone else just because they need it, not because you're doing it to make yourself feel better? You do good for the right rewards. If I tell you that uh, we're going to spend a few minutes in Matthew chapter 6, I hope that triggers for you one of those mental bookmarks that we talk about often. Mental bookmarks of the Bible. When you hear Matthew 5, 6, or 7, that mental bookmark comes up in your head and you know this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, or 7, you know Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus establishing his kingdom, telling us how to be believers, all right? In the middle of that great sermon, chapter 6 at verse 1, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. You do good for the right rewards. He says, avoid, avoid the temptation to make sure everybody else sees you because if your goal is to be seen by men, God's not going to pay attention, and you're going to lose the reward that matters. The message is a paraphrase of Scripture. It's an interpretation to help us understand the meaning of Scripture. It's not a, it's not a strict translation, but it does help us understand it. Look at this verse in the message. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? That will just almost preach. Look at the next verse, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, now we're back in a real translation now. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Do you see that? We do good for the right rewards. Now, look at the, it says those hypocrites blow the trumpets before they give. Now, there's, there's, there's no historical um, evidence to the fact that trumpets were actually blown when they were giving their alms, that, that's speaking figuratively. 
It is instead of, instead of sneaking the, the, the dollar bill into the box, they would hold their dollar bill up and say, okay, everybody, see, I'm about to give this money. Here we go. I'm put, put it. It's kind of like when you go to the coffee shop and you're going to put a tip in the jar, and just as you're about to put the tip in the jar, the, 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 the barista turns around, and you think, well, now she won't know I put a tip in there. So if she's not going to know, I'm going to wait. So you wait till she comes back, and then you try again. She turns around again, right? It, it's, it's the people who say, I want everybody to know that I'm giving. I want you to see that I'm helping. Did everybody notice that I gave that man on the corner some food? Did everybody see that? I want to make sure I get credit for it. You're tooting your own horn, we would say. Scripture says you're blowing the trumpet. Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, that they might get praise from others. I say to you, they have received their reward. If you do good to get attention, that's all you get. And if all you get is attention, then when this life is over, the attention is over, and there's nothing that outlives your life. However, if my reward comes from my Father in heaven, that comes from a, a, an eternal place, and there is an eternal aspect of that reward, it outlives me. You do good for the right rewards. To outlive your life, you do what you do for the audience of one. The next couple of verses right there in Matthew 6, we just continue the same paragraph. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, speaking figuratively, be so secretive about giving and helping and doing. Be so secretive about it. It's almost as if your left hand didn't even know that your right hand had done something. So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Ask yourself, if no one knew the good I do, would I still do it? If no one knew, would I still be willing to do it? Years ago, St. John of the Cross wrote, God is more pleased by one work, however small, done in secret, without desire that it be known, than a thousand done with the desire that people know of them. During the days of recovery after the explosion, there was a company that, that showed up in West, and like so many other companies, they did great work, and they helped us tremendously. This one particular company, however, came one day. They came to the elementary school. They handed out teddy bears to the kids to bring comfort. What a wonderful gift except that they brought the cameras with them. And the leader of the company did this whole interview. Yes, we're about to give to these children. We're going to do this. We're going to do... You can see us here. We have such compassion. They gave out the teddy bears, made their movie, and we didn't see them again. Now, they owed us nothing. I appreciate them coming. I'm not being... I'm not being ungrateful. I'm simply saying that as I watched from the outside, I thought, 
Do we ever fall into that trap? We want to make others feel good about us so we make sure they know that we did good. Would you do good? Would you do something to serve if nobody ever found out about it? See the last part of that last verse there? It says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You don't have to worry about nobody noticing. If you do good, the only one who counts notices. And notice that it says that your father who sees in secret will reward you. He, he sees in secret. So when we come to church and we put on the mask and we pretend that we're perfect, it's kind of like dressing up for an x-ray. The one who is perfect and sees all sees right through us. He sees into our hearts. And so we want to be really aware of the fact that our, our natural inclination is to put on the mask that helps us fit in and to, and to be a part of the community, to be a part of what's happening around us. We put on the, the good person mask. We need to be aware of that mask and just make sure that the good we do is not done so that people notice the mask, but is done so that the one who sees in secret is pleased. Do good for the right rewards. Later on in Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 23 at verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, mask wearers. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. No Jew would ever touch a dead body particularly one that had not been properly prepared in the, at the proper time right after death. You don't touch death. And Jesus says, y'all are, are just like whitewashed tombs. The outside looks fine. You look beautiful. But on the inside, there is that worst kind of uncleanness. So remember, we do good from within. We do good in order to please the one who sees all. That's the good that will outlast us. The good that we do to get applause, the good that we do to make sure people notice, ends with us. Finally, we learn from those in the book of Acts. We do good for the right results. The right reasons, the right rewards, and the right results. We want our good to do something that is meaningful, that will outlast our lives. And what is that? We can find it back in the Sermon on the Mount again. This time, Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they will see how bright and beautiful you are and will fall at your feet in adoration. 
Let your light so shine before others that they recognize what an awesome person you are. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. We do good for the right results. And that's not to build a name for ourselves, but that is to point to the name of God. It's to point people to him. It's to bring him glory and honor. What we do is done for him. I was at a conference once for young pastors. Yes, I used to be a young pastor. And we were talking about the tradition where the pastor would stand at the front door after worship and everybody would come out and everybody felt obligated to shake his hand, say, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon. And we were talking about how do we deal with that? Because we, did, we didn't preach in order to, to get that and we're not standing here to get compliments. We're standing here to make a connection with everybody. And how do we deal with that? And this one response stayed with me, and I thought it was perfect. This person said, what I do is I see, every time somebody says good sermon, I see it as a flower. They're handing me a flower. And then once everybody is gone, I take the whole bouquet and I give it to God. Live in such a way that your light shines, not so that people notice you, but so they notice your good works and give glory to God for them. Live in such a way that you are here for him. A number of years ago, Oral Hershiser was pitching for the Los Angeles Dodgers. They had just won the World Series. Oral was named the most valuable player of the series. Well, it was such a remarkable World Series that they did a TV show about it. And in that TV show, they show him in the dugout just before the ninth inning of the last game. He was leaning against the wall and his lips were moving. It was obvious that he was saying something to himself. And so he was a guest after they won the series. He was a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. You remember The Tonight Show back when it was funny? And Johnny Carson was there, and he actually made us laugh, and yeah. He was a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Johnny asked him what he was saying in that clip that showed up in the TV show about the series. Oral Hershiser said, I wasn't saying anything. And Johnny pushed it. He said, well, tell us what you were doing then. (laughs) Finally, Oral said, well, I was singing. Johnny said, you were singing? I didn't know you were a singer. Hershiser said, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not a singer. I was just, I was just singing all, all on my own, you know, wasn't singing for, for people or anything. Johnny kept pushing, well, what were you singing? Sing it for us now. He said, no, I don't want to do it. Sing it for us now? Oh, crowd, yeah, clap, 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 clap. Sing for us, sing for us. So finally, Oral Hershiser did start to sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. In that moment where Oral Hershiser was earning the title of the most valuable player in the World Series, he was singing 
To God be the glory. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below, that doxology that still speaks to us. Might we learn to do good, not for attention, not for acclaim, but for God's glory. When we learn that, what we do outlives us.